Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So again, we are here with um, joyful teacher in residence, Sean Davis, and, um, you know, teaching and learning coordinator on other campuses, but that's what we call it here because Maricosta, we have to be special uh, and whatnot, to whatever degree. And this time, look, we're going to do something, again, when Sean and I get together, we normally do something very practical um, and whatnot. And so uh, because I realized, I'm not even going to lie, that a few of these are very touchy-feely and whatnot and so hopefully people understand and enjoy where they're coming from and and why it's important and yet at the same time i get it we need some practical things some practical advice and whatnot and so this one uh, really starts with uh, a question or like a strategy that i've seen people talk about and i don't think people really understand as a teacher like what does it mean right when we tell students uh, a particular strategy and whatnot and that is if you're a student who generally sits in the back of the class, most of the time, if not all the time, one of the strategies that we tell people is to literally move up to the front of the class, right? right? Move up to the front. You know, I hear this in my counseling spaces and, you know, people is like, hey, you want to get up into the front of the class because, right, this is where the teacher pays the most attention or this is that learning arc and everything, right? It's like this, this learning arc and um, and whatnot, and it shows the, the teacher that you're interested in everything. And that all might be true, right? But my question is, and I want us to really think about, is do we tell students that if they're sitting in the back to come up to the front of the class because, and what's the because, right? Literally, like, what's the because? When I'm thinking about it, I'm literally thinking, if I have to tell students to come to the front of the class, then that means my classroom has a ghetto, mm. right? And yes, that's a Tupac reference, that if heaven has a ghetto, whatever. But my classroom having a ghetto, I can actually do something about that, right? And so, you know, and, and in thinking about why students sit in the back of the class and things like that, I, I get that. That's a thought. That that may be something that we that we talk about a little bit later on um, in, in this episode, even. But to just talk about what does it mean for us, right? If we're to say, "Hey, move up front," because right, and so and so for me, um, I really don't like that <laughs> to say the absolute very least. And so, uh, Sean, you want to jump in on me because, like I said, I'm about to get revved up, and so all good. Yeah, I think. <laughs> A lot of these strategies to ask students to move to the front is this attempt to make the classroom smaller, right? And mm -hmm. so that we can get more attention on them. And I think that we're in a very privileged space where we do have small class sizes relative to lecture halls and universities and things like that. Right. So right. to get students even more engaged, we feel like if they're closer or if it doesn't seem like everybody's so spread out and there's, you know, these rows of empty seats and then some students sitting in the back it just doesn't feel like a good look, right? Not good optics. So if you're coming right. up to the front, we can all kind of build community up there. And also you probably 
pay more attention to what I'm trying to present. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about making the classroom smaller and, and very interesting wording that you use that, you know, does your classroom have a ghetto, right? <laughs> and what's happening there, right? Yeah. And, and maybe we don't want to know what's happening in the ghetto. Um, Hmm. What about what about <laughs> what about what about visiting the ghetto, right? Yeah, it, in, instead of asking the ghetto to come forward and 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 move into this other space, what about us going into that place, right? right, right and right. this is something that I got really early in my career from our colleague Tao Ha when she observed me. One of her, you know, part of her feedback, she said, "You got to walk around more. You got to move around in the classroom more. You know, you're right. pacing back and forth the front." But there's more room in the classroom. Right, and right. and I think about it in this way of like activating spaces, right? Mm. Maybe you think it's a ghetto or a place where people are really quiet or, or they're not engaged or maybe on their phone or, or, or nodding off. But if you walk over there and you're talking right next to them, mm-hmm. people are paying attention. It's yeah. kind of hard to ignore you in that case, right? And there are other subtle strategies that people use in public speaking like pausing. Mm. Yeah. And when you have a long pause people look up and 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 they're like oh okay we're still here and then you can continue on right if right. you notice those kind of areas where you think people aren't engaged yeah. so i think walking around is a very practical thing that we can use especially when we're lecturing or um, trying to facilitate a particular activity and just making sure that we're present in all different areas so that students feel our presence there right no and i'm thinking of uh, that right i'm thinking of also uh, in my statistics class, because when you think about walking around, I think most people think about side to side. And mm-hmm. I know that for the most part, you know, good teaching is mobile <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because, right, the, the students need to be paying attention to something and you moving around can help, right, with, with their, their attention spans and whatnot. The thing that I is so so side to side is almost a given, right? In a lot of spaces, in my stats class, I actually have a center row, a center aisle, and I walk down that also. I'm going to tell you, that's a little weird. Hmm. It is a little weird to literally go into the ghetto, if you mm-hmm. would. It's 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 weird, and yet at the same time, it is so effective in regards to just shrinking the class, right? Because look. I mean, I'm I'm interested in what the students in the in the back row think and feel and how they're engaged also. And so for me to move into that space, it just lets them know. It reminds them it's like, oh, there's there's really no place. I'm going to use the word to hide, not in any negative way, uh, but that I do definitely understand that when students choose to sit in the back, that there's often a lot of socialization that went into a lot of trauma even that went into that decision to sit into the back, right? So again, it's like this constant calling in, right? It's like we we went, just went to a conference and everything. And so this, this calling in thing is just like we have words for what it is that we do now. Um, and so it was to say this calling in, it's like, the, yo, the back row is not the back row. The back row is still, you're, you're here. You're part of this class. Come on, come in. Come come into the space, right? And that's a that's a good point because the calling in versus calling out, right? Right, right, right and, right. and I don't think anybody enjoys the calling out process. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to tell a student get off their phone. That's like not something you go into the day thinking that you want to do, and they don't want to <laughs> be told that either, right? Right, right. But I, I think that if you know students are you know chatting in the back and maybe it's a little distracting or they're on their phone, if you during your lecture walk over to that area. 
they're going to stop that behavior. Like they're yeah. going to put down their phone or they're going to stop talking because now you're right there. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's kind of a, a subtle way to do it without the calling out. And it is the calling in because you're like, I, I see you, right. right? We've talked about that on previous episodes of the seeing students yes, and, yes. and not only seeing them, but going to them. But the other part of the, you know, how you put it was trauma, you know, and, and that may, cause them to sit in the back or cause them to disengage in a classroom and not think that this is a space where they need to be alert and, and kind of know what's going on at all times. Mm-hmm. That's from the student seat. But what they, what students report that they've seen a lot, not just in college classrooms, but K through 12 is a teacher who is just posted at the computer mm-hmm. or sitting down at the desk right. and not engaging either. Right. And, and so I think, that by us walking around the room and making sure that we're hitting all the different areas of the class, mm-hmm. we're showing that we're here to do something yes. and we're not going to just be passive and we're not going to allow passivity also. And we're going to facilitate that with our actions rather than just our words. Right. And to make this clear, folks, that I'm not talking about walking around a classroom as a policing effort. Right. It's like, look, straight up. It's like, Sean's just cracking up right now. Like, right. Hey, we're not talking effort. about policing okay. the ghetto. What we're talking about is visiting it and, and, and inviting folks in that space. Well, not inviting them in like you need to walk up to the front of the class. Right. Because we're, I'm saying don't do that. Right. Or, or think about why you would say something like that. Instead, it's like, look, there, there is no ghetto here. This is not some substandard space. This is not the, this is not the low end, you know, area of the city. This is an active part of the class. And I really want you to be active in this space also. Right. And so when I think about when when student or when we even when teachers say, you know, move to the front of the class and all of this stuff, it, it, I kid you not. It was like I, I had to throw this shout out for my students because um, a lot of students, they, they complain about not having parking spaces. Right. Mm-hmm. About uh, that. We have a shortage of parking spaces here in which I'm sure there's a shortage of, of parking spaces wherever, you know, college campuses are and whatnot uh, to whatever degree. But a lot of times those students interact with like administrators and other people at the college and, they, and the administrators and the teachers even. Right. Because if you as a student, you walk into the class and you say, hey, I was late because I couldn't find a parking spot or, yo, I actually missed class because I couldn't find a parking spot. Well, what does your teacher say or what does the administration say? It's like, well, come earlier, come earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, you understand how stupid that actually is in practicality, right? I mean, I get it if when you're talking about one person solutions, but that's what student equity, right? That's that's what prevents us from going for student equity approaches, right? We always take things on an individual basis and say, hey, you can fix your situation just by coming earlier. Cool. I get that. However, if everyone decides to come early, there's still not going to be enough parking spaces. If everyone moves up in front of your class, there's still going to be a back row. And so then what does this mean, right? When we talk about student equity and we talking about and we're talking about groups of people, right? And in regards to trying to change overall classroom patterns and 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 student success as far as student equity groups and historically marginalized folks and all of this stuff, right? What does it mean then when we say just move up to the front of the class? And so that's right. And so it's like in really thinking about this. And so um, another thing is that I always make eye contact to the back row also. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I'm sure, or maybe 
I'm I'm sure I'm sure everyone can do this to whatever degree, right? To make that to make a, a you know eye contact. I mean, literally, I'm making eye contact with folks like that, and I really think that a lot of teachers don't like looking to the back row because of what they may see people doing back there, mm-hmm. right? And so then you're literally cutting off that group of people from everything that it is that you're trying to do. Because you're like, okay, maybe they're horsing around. Maybe they're on their laptop and looking at, you know, kitten videos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like you you don't want and you don't want to acknowledge that those students in the back are are engaged, right? You don't want to acknowledge that they're not engaged, right? And so then when I'm looking at that, I'm like, yo, last time I checked, it's our job to engage all the students in a class. And so then that means that includes the back row last time I checked. And so then what can we do? Well, eye contact, walking around, walking through the rows. I mean, walking through an aisle if you can. But this is something that I've actually been doing, which is different than calling out, right? It's like, I'm not going to call out a student, but I give shout outs. Mm-hmm. I give shout outs to students. It's like, hey, especially when they're paying attention, right? Because here I am making all this eye contact and everything. And and you, you can tell when a student's paying attention. And the way that I do it is I just give a low stakes question at them. I just say, so, you know, like we just watch a video or something like that. And it's like, hey, and I'm looks directly at someone, make eye contact with someone in the back row. And it's like, so what'd you think about that? Because I know you're thinking about something and just really trying to encourage that that talk. Right. That just trying to close that distance between what the back row is and engaging in the class. Right. And so like a shout out and especially if I know someone's name. Because I hand about I hand back enough papers and stuff like that to where I can even get to know certain people's names and stuff like that. And so it's like I can call out someone's name in the back row, and that's even to some reason for to even more encouraging, if you would, to just be able to say their name. Is like so. What do you, you know, Kavon? So what do you think about that? Right, and just get to that space where they get comfortable. It's like they don't have to say anything. If I see that they're about to stumble right out of the, you know, it's like if they don't feel comfortable. It's like, hey, you know what? I'll come back to you later on that, and and literally just kind of, you know, just help them out and understand. It's like, yo, we're gonna get to this space where we're all talking. You know, let's make this happen, and yet at the same time, just go like, yo, this is this is good stuff. And I see, and the most important part is that I see you. I see you and just, just seeing our students makes a huge difference in their lives because quite honestly, a lot of those students who are sitting in the back row are used to not being seen. They're used to not being cared about. They're used to not engaging for whatever reasons. And so to see them means means huge things right and so but there's other ways to make the classroom feel smaller and that's where sean's expertise really jumps in and so go ahead sean i want to quickly talk about the parking lot you know that you were that you're saying and and the trouble with finding parking because it goes to this conversation about the distinctions between reasons and excuses Mm. and how somebody can have the reason of why they are late to class be, I couldn't find a parking space. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a response could be, you know, you could try to come earlier. Right. But if my childcare provider doesn't open until eight 30 and the Mm. class is at nine, 
and it's Let's the go. beginning of the semester, mm-hmm. and there is, you know, we have to open up additional parking and parking on the street that usually isn't open because right. we understand the overflow that's going on. Mm-hmm. And so we do make those accommodations, but then once it gets to the classroom, those accommodations can stop depending on the instructor and how they feel about it. Right. Now, those to me seem like good reasons, and well, maybe they can get a class a little later, but what if their shift starts at 12? Right. So things are really tight. Mm -hmm. And we know that is what a lot of our students are facing. And we know we're an open access uh, educational institution. And so our commitment is to those students as well. Right. Right. And so I think about that when you have somebody in class and they're disengaged or they're, you know, living in the class ghetto and and what, what what's really happening there is maybe they're in your class because they really want to play basketball. Yeah. They're not in your class because they want to learn about sociology, right? (laughs) And if somebody told me I had to play basketball in order to teach, I would play basketball, but I probably wouldn't be like trying to be great at it, (laughs) right? And in the same way, they're probably not trying to be great at sociology, but they really want to continue playing basketball. And the only way to do that in an organized team and to have any kind of sense of success or progression is to do it at the college level right. where you have to take classes. Yeah, yeah, You know, football teams started as non-college students mm-hmm. who were hired by the college to play football. Crazy, this idea right? of student athlete yeah. is something that developed over time. And now we have expectations of people who want to do one thing. They got to be good at these other things too. Yeah. And they may not even be interested in those things. And so in that way, what do we do then? Because we're serving those students as well. And, to answer the question of these other ways of engagement, you know, people do small groups, people do think pair shares, these kind of things. But I think when you feel like maybe you're, there's a moment where you maybe feel like your entire class is a ghetto. Mm. And it usually follows this question. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> and you get nothing, right? Yeah. And and I think, you know, just a very practical thing there is I, I've had, um, people who have mentored me that said, frame that a different way mm-hmm. and say, I know there are questions. What are they? Right. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and that proves to be somewhat effective. I mean, there's things you can do, like get a three by five card and say, if you have a question about the course or the schedule or what's going on, just write it on the card. Don't put your name on it. It's anonymous. And I'll look at them. And if I see some patterns, I'll address these next class. Mm-hmm. And I'll also post the answers on our learning management system, Canvas, as an announcement so that you can review them there. Right. And you're going to get a lot more questions that way. You're going to actually get questions that way. Right. Because the stakes are low for them. Mm -hmm. They don't want to ask questions in front of people that may have already been answered or, you know, hear the snickering or, you know, the the dirty looks or whatever, or feel just kind of dumb for asking a question. So I think that those are things that you can do. You can ask them to kind of, with a partner right there in the moment, um, come up with three questions that you have about the course mm-hmm. and then share out right. because then they're working with someone else. They're speaking on behalf of not just them, but someone else. And they have some time to think about it. And it, it, you're going to give them the time that they need to come up with something. Right. So all of those different things I think are, are really important when you're trying to 
make the classroom feel smaller. You're trying to get students to interact and you genuinely want to know what their experience is like in your classroom. Right, right. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, Sean, he just went over the, the, the small groups thing, like, really fast. And, you know, it's like, well, we'll talk about, you know, other things and go in more depth uh, into other spaces. And, and so to, to finish off with the student equity part here, right, to, to be more purposeful, right, because all of this will make you a better teacher. But all of this may not close equity gaps unless you approach this in a very purposeful, meaningful way. And so I made this suggestion before. I'm making it again now, especially as, you know, talking about walking around the room and who you're making eye contact with. Be purposeful about who you're making eye contact with and focus in. Make sure that you look at people of color in the eye while you're doing this. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I already feel it. I already feel it. Some of y'all are already feeling awkward about it. If you're feeling awkward about it, the students know. And if you're going to be awkward when you do it, do <laughs> when you if you're going to be awkward when you do it, the students are going to know that also. So then you might want to practice in a different space of making eye contact, like make eye contact with faculty members of color first, and then move it into the classroom level or whatever. But the idea of this. And I really want to make sure to, to, to say it's like if you're having problems with with eye contact with students of color, then I can tell you what a big part of the problem is right there is, is right there. So being purposeful and being practical about employing the method in regards to uh, historically marginalized groups. That is a big key in this, right? It's like, like, and like I said, I'll say it again. It's like, all of this will make you a better teacher, but all of this may not close equity gaps unless you're purposeful about the eye contact and, and why you're moving around the room and why you want to make sure there's not a ghetto in your classroom, right? So. And then once you, I think eye contact is a great starting point. And then after that, I want to walk you through something that's a little more intrusive. I think mm. starting with eye contact would be good before moving on to something like this. However, I want to walk you through the intrusive work of equity. And one student in particular, we're, we're going into week five. Mm-hmm. And during the first week, I noticed a student who kind of had his head down, was very quiet, a uh, black student who is also on the basketball team. Mm-hmm. And... I, I took notice of him because he seemed particularly disengaged in class. That's mm-hmm. That was my perception, right? Right. And so after that first class session, he said, oh, I'm trying to crash this class. Mm-hmm. Can I get a permission number? I think I need a permission number. And this is kind of what I've been doing this semester is thinking of what I usually would do and like catching myself in the moment of habit and then saying, what else could I do here? What what could change? What could be different? Mm-hmm. So usually I just write the permission number down on a three by five card and hand it to the student. Yeah. I said, okay, here's the permission number. Let's walk over to a computer in the counseling office and we will sign up for the class together. Yeah. And so I did that with him. Right. And then um, he had missed one of my classes cause he had to fin- figure out his financial aid situation. Right. So he felt, you know, that this was priority was to go to the financial aid office, get that figured out and then come, uh, come to class if he could. Yeah. Well, he missed the quiz that day. Mm. And so I allowed him to make up the quiz. And when he was making up the quiz during my office hours, he would 
finished the quiz and then he handed it to me. And what I would usually do with a student making up a quiz is I would take it and say, have a great day. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happens in class. So Mm -hmm. I took the time to say, hey, let's go over these and I'll grade it right now. And the ones that you got correct, what what, what were you thinking here? Okay, very good, you know, and, and have that dialogue with him. And then the ones that he missed talk about why he missed those, right? Mm -hmm. And what I found out was the wording of the question kind of threw him off and he actually did understand the concepts. So that was a change. When I see him on campus Mm -hmm. with his uh, fellow basketball players or when he's with other people, I make sure that I not only see him, I go up and I give him a handshake, ask him how he's doing, you know, if there's anything that he needs from me. Yeah. And then um, what I've been doing also that I got from one of our colleagues here, Eric Robertson, is this idea of integrating the student's interest into your lesson plan or at least making sure that you mention things that they've told you on the first day that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I know that he's into basketball and I also know that he uh, uses particular types of slang. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about language and slang, I, I brought him into the conversation and said, tell me what you mean when you say this particular word, yeah. right? And so he felt like he was contributing to the class at that point. So really, it went from somebody who had their head down, appeared to me to not want to be there, mm-hmm. to this past week in class in week four, he's the, it, he is a heavy contributor in class. Yeah. He asks questions. Mm-hmm. He wants follow-up. He is engaged with the people that he in his group, in his team. And when he does partnered, uh, paired activities, he is fully engaged and, and calls me over to ask questions for clarification. Wow. 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 And it just feels like such a big win. And, and there's so much momentum going that way mm-hmm. that it tells me that we, you know, that it reminds me that we always have to think about the things that have become habit. Right. And how can we just take that pause and say, what could I add to this situation that would be more equity minded and feel like I'm actually a practitioner of equity instead of just keeping it in my mind. Right. And so, hey, so that's all we got for this episode, folks. I hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already.